All right, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter number 40. Isaiah chapter number 40 this morning. Last time, I don't know what the deal was with the last sermon. It just, it wasn't, it was weird. It was, I don't know, too deep, too complicated, too something. I don't know. Not one of my finer moments, I don't think. But we'll try to improve it on this one. Isaiah chapter number 40. And... uh We'll start off not reading as much scripture. We're not going to try to do three chapters this morning. (laughs) Uh, But uh, we're just going to read the first 11 verses of Isaiah chapter number 40. And we'll we'll draw our theme from there. So Isaiah chapter number 40, beginning in verse number 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Verse number 9. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. Verse number 11, we'll draw our text from this morning. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. So far this Christmas season, we've been uh, looking at these great prophecies concerning the Messiah that are found in the book of Isaiah. Uh, We saw in Isaiah 7.14 that a virgin would have a son called Emmanuel, God with us. We saw in Isaiah chapter number 9, verses 6 and 7, that there would be a child, a son, uh, that would be born who would rule on the throne of David forever. Last time, in Isaiah chapter number 11, verse number 1, we saw that Christ would be the miraculous branch that would come from the stump of David's line and would bless all the world. Today, we're going to draw our theme here from chapter number 40. Now, I've been trying to give you some of the background and things going on here, and according to uh, Reese's Chronological Bible, which I, I usually use on this stuff, he says that about 40 years have passed from what we saw in chapter 7, 9, and 11. Those, those happened very quickly, uh, kind of all together. But he says about 40 years have passed when we come to chapter number 40. There's quite a bit of history that's happened in those 40 years. About 25 years before this, King Ahaz, who we saw on the throne, very wicked king, he's died. He's, he's been replaced by his son, Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah was a good king for the most part and, and led Judah in a great revival, Second Chronicles 29, 30, and 31, if you want to read all that history. About 20 years before this point, 
the divided kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah with Jerusalem, the northern kingdom of Israel with the capital of Samaria, the northern kingdom uh, fell to the uh, to this Assyrian empire that's been on the rise. About 12 years before this, Hezekiah was miraculously healed and was promised 15 more years of life. About a year before this, the, the Assyrians returned and they, uh, under King Sennacherib and they besieged Jerusalem. You can read about that, 2 Kings 18 and 19, 2 Chronicles 32, and Isaiah, if you actually just go back to chapters Isaiah 36 and 37, tell, uh, tell that story. God delivered Jerusalem from out of the hand of the Assyrians. He struck down and killed 185,000 of their soldiers in one night. So as we come into this chapter, we come into this setting for these words, this is what's happened since the, the previous prophecies. We've had some upheaval, we've had some changes, uh, but there's still there's a lot of things kind of up in there. There's still a lot of uncertainty, even if they have just been delivered from the Assyrians. Now there's a dramatic shift in tone when you get to chapter number 40 in Isaiah. Much of the first 39 chapters deal with judgment. The final 27 deal with hope and restoration and salvation. Uh, some people call the first 39 chapters the book of judgments and then the final 27 the book of comfort, taking the theme from uh, our first verse here. The shift is so jarring when you come here that there's a lot of these uh, modern scholars think that the same person didn't write this whole book, that uh, somebody else wrote the final 27 chapters. And some people even go so far to say that three people wrote the book of Isaiah. Uh, I'll give you my opinion on that in one word, hogwash. That's not subject for this at all, but uh, there's plenty of evidence that one Isaiah wrote all of Isaiah. And by the way, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Paul all quote from the different supposed sections of Isaiah, and they all say Isaiah wrote it. So the testimony of the Scripture is Isaiah wrote it all. Anyway, I want to highlight this morning two thoughts. The first is comfort, the comfort of Christ. And then I want to focus on Christ as the great shepherd. On the idea of comfort, it is an emphatic comfort. It's, it opens here in verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. By the way, that's one of Isaiah's little idiosyncrasies. I'm still getting over stuff, can't talk right. But one of his little characteristics of his writing, he likes to double up words like this. And, uh, and, and, and that's why he comfort ye, comfort ye. It, in, in Hebrew, that's for emphasis. Uh, so he, 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 this is, it's emphatic comfort. It's going to happen. By the way, it's an encompassing comfort. It's uh, when it's doubled up like that. It's enough and then some. Uh, so it's comfort and then more comfort. It is also an expected comfort that Jerusalem has been judged and purged of its sins. In fact, it says it's basically paid double for its sins. It's, it's fully met the judgment of God. Uh, so it's ready for the promise of salvation and restoration. It's an ensured comfort. Because there's a voice in the wilderness that cries out, saying, this is going to happen, it's coming. Uh, by the way, that's John the Baptist who's going to announce Christ's coming. And by the way, there's also an endorsed comfort. 
The mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The Lord signs His name to it and says, I will do it. Now, it would be human nature to assume that Israel had paid its dues and it, uh, it deserved this blessing of comfort. Uh, sometimes we get this idea that, um, even as Christians, sometimes we get an idea that things kind of work on like a karma scale. Well, bad happened. Therefore, some good has to happen to balance things out. Some good happened, there must be some bad. And I'll be honest, I'm kind of guilty of thinking that way too. I kind of think things tend to average out a lot of the ways, so I, I kind of tend to look that way myself. But that's not what that's saying here. I know we keep going back to this, but it's easy to forget this, but we deserve nothing from God. We deserve nothing from God except judgment for our sins. Whatever good or wonderful things that happen to us are purely from the mercy, from the grace of God. That's the message of verses 6-8. through eight. It's emphasized in one of the most powerful ways in Scripture. I told you this it starts out with a doubling up of comfort, comfort. Now we have the way when, when Scripture really wants to emphasize something, it does it three times. It's three times emphasized here. And by the way, I'll point this out, I think in verses 6 through 8, I think there's an appearance of the Trinity here. I may be stretching things a little bit, I'll admit, when I get off a little bit on gageology, but I think this may be the Trinity right here. In verse 6, a voice speaks. Who is that voice? I think it's the mouth of the Lord from verse number 5. I think that is God the Father. What's the Father's message? All flesh is grass, all goodliness thereof is is as the flower of the field. In the imagery of prophecy, this means man is nothing. We, we looked at this a little bit last week. Kings and kingdoms and soldiers are hearkened as trees. Yet these are just the, the grass in, in, a, in, a, in a field, just the wildflowers, something unkept, something untilled. Uh, it's just the bare basics uh, of, of an ecological system. Uh, so God is sitting here saying, mankind, you can do nothing of your own power to bring about the promise of comfort, the promise of the Messiah. In verse 7, what do you see? You see the Spirit of the Lord. That's pretty easy. It's God the Holy Spirit. What does the Spirit do? It blows like a mighty wind upon the grass. It causes it to wither. God's saying, mankind, you can do nothing to bring about the promise of comfort, the promise of the Messiah. In verse 8, what do we see? The Word of our Lord or word of our God, that is, I think, God the Son. By the way, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. What is His message? The grass withereth, the flower fadeth. Mankind, you can do nothing to bring about the promise of comfort, the promise of the Messiah. But that's not all. Because he says also the word of our God shall stand forever. Human strength will fail, but God will not fail. Human plans will fail, but God will not fail. Human comfort may fail, but God will not fail. In the midst of hopelessness, God says, I will comfort my people, but you can't do this on yourself. Well, what are we supposed to do? We see Christ. Just like when the fourth man was in the fire, Nebuchadnezzar looked in there and there was an extra, extra Jew in the middle of that fire. Who was that? It was one likened to the Son of God. 
Just like when the disciples were out there on the stormy sea and they're like, oh no, we're going we're gonna... to... Remember, by the way, the, some of those are professional fishermen. They know how to sail. And they're out there and they think we're going to drown and here comes Christ walking on the top of those waves out to see them. Just when you think there is no hope, who is there to show up? Christ. You want comfort in the trials of this life? He said, lo, I am with you always. Not just some of the times, not just the good times, not just when it's convenient, but always. Matthew 28, 20. He also says, Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now that's all in the introduction. In verse number 9, we see the anticipation of the coming Messiah. In verse 10, we see the character of His rule. That day is not come yet, but it is still coming. But our focus I want to look at is, is, is verse number 11. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. This combines the two great themes this morning, the one of comfort and the one of the shepherd. How can we have comfort in this life? How can we have comfort in the trials, the tribulations, and the storms of this life? Because Christ is the good shepherd. Such a beautiful, wonderful picture. Just as a shepherd is out there caring for his flock, so God watches over us and tends to our every need, our every care. By the way, it's all throughout Scripture. I'm not going to burden you down with all those verses, but it's a fun study. Go look it up. But Psalm 23, you can't help but think about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. about John chapter 10, verse number 11? Christ Himself says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth His life for the sheep. So what I want to do, and I'm, I'm doing really good this morning. Last week was a little long. We're going to be a little short here this morning unless I get really wound up. I want to highlight four aspects of the good shepherd's comfort that He gives to us. Number one, it says that he feeds. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. If you look up, this is actually a fun little thing. If you look this up, um, I, I use a Bible program called eSword. It's free. That's why I like it. And, uh, well, the iPhone version is like five bucks worth every penny for the phone. But anyway, on Windows, you can, you can download it for free. And it's got a, a version on there. I, I bring up the Bible and it puts the little Strong's word numbers so you can look them up right next to the words. And um, there's a very interesting thing here. The exact same Hebrew root word is used for the word feed and for the word shepherd. It's uh, basically, like I say, it's different forms of the word, but it's the same root word. Albert Barnes in his commentary said, the verb translated to feed denotes more than our word feed at present. It refers to all the care of a shepherd over his flock. It means to tend, to guard, to govern, to provide pasture, to defend from danger as a shepherd does his flock. I was thinking about this, and I'm no expert on translating or anything like that, but I thought, you know what, I think you can almost take this verse and say, he shall shepherd his flock like a shepherd. And I think that gets probably the idea of this. Basically, he will do all that he must do for our good. He will provide. He will protect. He will manage. He will mend. 
Going back to Psalm 23 when David said, I shall not want. There's nothing I will lack. I will have everything I need. It's the same thought. That's our good shepherd's care for us. We lack nothing because He provides for all. Philippians 4.19 But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He shall feed. He shall shepherd His flock. The second thing I want you to notice about His care is that He gathers. He shall gather the lambs with His arm. The picture here is you have the shepherd out there and he's, he's herding together his, his flock. And you see here this beautiful picture. I'm going to use that term a lot. This is such a vivid, beautiful, wonderful picture here of a shepherd and, and, and his sheep. But you have the picture of our Savior with open arms gathering in His lost sheep. John 6.37 All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. But it's not just the gathering that's highlighted. It's not just Him bringing the people in. It's when you gather animals together like this, there's always those little stragglers. There's always these ones that can't quite keep up. Here, it's the little lambs. As He's gathering them up and all the, all the adult sheep and the rams and the ewes and stuff have come in, uh, that th- there's this you know this little bitty sheep. By the way, is there anything cuter in this world than a little lamb? Every time I see one of those, I, I follow some people you know like on on, on uh, Twitter and stuff that just do like cute little animal videos. Every time there's a little lamb, you can't help but smile. They're just so adorable. They're so cute. But anyway, you see that little lamb and it's just trying to bounce around, keep up with its mama. But you know it, it's not its little legs don't move that fast. It can't get there as fast. So what does the Savior do? Basically, he reaches down and he gathers up that little lamb that can't quite keep up. And he takes it up into his arms. Those that do not have the strength to continue, those that lack the knowledge or experience to keep pressing on, on those our Lord takes pity. He doesn't scold. He doesn't hit them. He gently lifts them and carries them along. I think every child of God has been there. You've been to a point you couldn't make it. The only way you could make it is because our Savior reached down, picked you up, and carried you along. We all can praise Him for that love and care. We couldn't make it on our own. Third thing I want us to see is that He carries. Now He picks them up, but then it says He carries them in His bosom. This is still talking about those little lambs. So he's not just picking them up, but he's he's carrying them with them. And by the way, I was thinking about this. It's not just that he picks them up. I mean, I've seen the, the guys throw a lamb over the shoulders, you know, and they got they got their legs right here and just kind of carrying it like that. I've had to, you know, pick up dogs or little things before, and you pick them up on your shoulder like that, you know, and you uh, carry them around. Throw them on one shoulder like a sack of feed, you know, just whatever. It's like, I'm going I'm to carry this thing. But it's not just being carried here. He takes it into his bosom. He takes it in close to him. What I imagine here is with this shepherd is that he opens up his robe and puts that sheep in there where it's nice and warm and safe and comfortable. There's not a better place to be than snuggled safely in the Savior's care. 
I was trying to find a good song to, to just punctuate this. I thought there's so many great songs I thought about. Uh, songs like Nearer My God to Thee. But I, I thought of an old Fanny Crosby song you don't hear much anymore. But I think she nailed it when she wrote this little chorus. Safe in the arms of Jesus, safe on His gentle breast, there by His love o'ershadowed, sweetly my soul shall rest. The fourth thing I want us to note here this morning, not only does He feed and gather and carry, but He leads. The last part of this verse, and she'll gently lead those that are with young. I don't have much experience with sheep. I don't know that we've ever owned a sheep. Had goats. Those are close. Um, but I do have plenty of experience with cows. I like to play that raised on a dairy card every now and then. <laughs> I remember getting up part of one of my little jobs you know when I was younger was getting the cows up and you wait long enough the cows got themselves up they were ready to be milked but uh but dad would send me out there and say go get the cows up and I'd usually go out there my dog George was with me and we, we'd go out there and uh yes he was named after George Strait okay that's back in the wicked days okay but anyway um but we'd go out there and and some of those cows they they, they could be a little stubborn sometimes in fact what I would usually do before I went out there, is I, I'd go in the driveway and pick up a handful of rocks and stick in my pocket. Just in case I had one didn't want to get going, I'd just throw a rock at it and get it going. You know, kind of motivate it a little bit. Um, but, but getting the cows up, you know, sometimes you'd have to, ah, you know, and make noise and wave your arms. And um, I kind of like it now. If our neighbors or somebody ever has a cow, I like to go out there and I, I know how to get a cow. You know, you can hoop and holler and wave your arms and stuff. You, you can get a cow to do what you want to do if you... You look like an idiot while you're doing it, but you can do it, you know. And um, But the thing is, and I, like I said, I don't know a lot about sheep, but what I understand about sheep is this, that you can't do that with sheep. Their temperament is so different. They don't respond well to being threatened. If you make loud noises and hoop and holler and wave your arms, you throw rocks at them, they don't respond well to that. That's why our Savior, note here that He leads, but it's not just that He leads, He gently leads. This great care is specifically applied here, by the way, to the mother ewes and their little lambs. It says those are with young. You can't rush those mamas. <laughs> Poor mamas, they're tired, they're sore, they're protective of their, of their little babies. Right now we've got puppies at the house. And uh, poor Raven, she's finally getting, she's kind of weaned them a little bit. But, uh, you know, there a couple of weeks ago, be like, oh, poor puppy, poor Raven, you know, so hard being a mama, having to care for those babies and you pet, pet her. Now we're just sick of her, like, okay, go away, Raven, leave me, leave me alone. But there for a while you really babied her because, you know, like, you feel sorry for her. She had a lot on her plate. But these these mamas, they need all the help they can get to nurture their little ones and by the way, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a rabbit trail here, if you'll excuse me. I know this really isn't exactly in the scope of the sermon here, but I want to say it because I think it's important. But this time of the year really highlights the burdens that are carried by mothers. Those of you who are mothers, you understand this is not a fun time of year. Those that still have kids at home, it's not a fun time of the year, is it? <laughs> 
They've got all the weight of the holiday season upon them. You got to get a present for this class, for this kid, for for this cousin. You got to get your pictures taken. You got to get to this party and that party, and it's just it's constant and so on. And I'm gonna tell you, I've I've seen young moms burn to a frazzle because all these responsibilities. And by the way, churches are really bad about adding a lot to that. And sometimes. We ought to go back and read the Bible because there is, I think, a good truth right here about this. Those who are with young, you need to have some patience. You need to be gentle. You need to help them. Don't burn them out. Don't drive them too hard. I would say to mothers, and I think we include fathers in this to a point too, but there is no greater work we can do for Christ on this earth than raising children right. Everything else can take a back seat. The most important work we can do as parents is raise children. If something else gets in the way, even though I say, well, it's church, it's ministry, I don't care. The focus is raise those children right. Christ understands this. I can point to this first, but I think I go to a lot of other ones. By the way, Christ loved little kids. He loved them. He blessed them. He brought them in. When the top said, hey, little kids, go away. He said, no, 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 bring them here. He loves them. We sing the song, Jesus loves little children. There's no greater truth in this world than he loves little kids. But he loves mamas and daddies too. We need to have the same love and compassion that he did in his gentle leading. Last page already. Can you all believe that? So what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, let me try to address that really quickly here in our conclusion. One of the favorite images we have of Christmas time is that of the little stable scene of the manger, and there's Mary and Joseph, and, and there's the you know the, the hay and the little babe lying there, and you got to have a donkey and a cow and a sheep and all this stuff. You know, we, we talked about that a couple Wednesday nights ago. Is that how it looked? Probably not. But we got that image. We got the little thing back here, kind of. You know, you, you get that that beautiful, wonderful image. These nativity scenes that come up, and you think about one of the aspects of that is the shepherds coming to visit. Those shepherds, the angels appeared to them, and they came in and, and saw this Christ child laying in that manger. And we often hear that it's because he was the Lamb of God. He was the sacrifice for our sins. And that, that's true. We also sometimes will hear, they'll say, well, the shepherds were the lowly and the outcast. And uh, you know, them coming in shows that everyone could come in to, to God. And that there's some truth to that. I, I, I think so. I'm going to offer you one more observation, though. Those shepherds came because Christ was one of them. Those shepherds came because Christ was one of them. He is the shepherd of Israel, Psalm 80, verse number 1. He's the good shepherd, John chapter 10, a couple references there. He's the great shepherd, Hebrews 13, verse 20. He's the chief shepherd, 1 Peter 5, 4. He is the shepherd of our souls, 1 Peter 2, 25. When Christ was born, the shepherds of Bethlehem gathered 
what did they see? They saw another shepherd there. They saw the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. They came and worshipped a shepherd. Two questions this morning as musicians come. First off, I want to ask, are you thankful for his care? This season, we focus a lot on Thanksgiving. We focus a lot on uh, you know, the, just the memories and the good times and things. And we, we, we try to be very thankful for this season. But I ask, are you thankful that when Christ came, part of what He came for was to be the shepherd to care for our every need, to walk among us? Are you thankful for His care? When all these good things happen, you think, well, I deserve this. And you say, well, God, I don't deserve a bit of this. Thank you so much for the blessings. Are you thankful for His care? Second, I want to ask, most importantly, are you in His flock? Are you in His flock? It's the most important question there is. He is the Good Shepherd. He said, all those that come unto Me, I will in no wise cast. I said, those that will come to Me, the way I say, they'll come. I, I will not cast any out that come to Me. Do you know Him this morning? Do you know His love? Do you know the forgiveness of sins? Why did Christ come? He came to be the sacrifice for us. He came to be the Lamb. He came to die for us. Let's not forget that. Let's know that each and every one of us personally in our hearts this morning. That's my message for you to hear this morning. What number? Oh, number 85 there in the Heavenly Highways. If you'll stand, we'll have a short time of invitation here this morning. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's, it's a tremendous theme to touch upon. That of the shepherds. That of the great shepherd. That of the Lamb of God. Lord, as we've talked so much about the coming Messiah, we've talked about all these details about His birth. We talk about His character. We talk about what He would do. Lord, one of the greatest aspects of Him coming was that He is our great shepherd. He loves. He cares. He knows what we go through. He's been tested. He's been tried. He knows the heartaches. Lord, He knows what we need. Lord, I'm so thankful for that care that gets us through every day, every moment of this life. Thankful for this care that when we can't keep up, You can carry us through. For those who are burdened, You're there to help. You're there to, to help heal, to, to help guide. Lord, I'm so thankful that we don't have to roam alone, that we have You as our shepherd. Lord, I pray that we be thankful. I pray that we submit to the Good Shepherd's care, that we appreciate that love, the compassion, all that He does for us. Lord, most importantly, this holiday season, we, we, we look out and we know as many as people know that Christ came, most there's still a lot of people out there that do not know Him personally as a Savior. Lord, the most important thing we can do is open our hearts up. Receive that gift that came 2,000 years ago, born in Bethlehem and died for our sins. Lord, if any watching or here doesn't know that, let's get that settled before it's too late and then be embraced by the love of the tender shepherd. 
Challenge our hearts, I pray, Lord. Encourage us. Encourage us with the great love and in the picture of the great shepherd here this morning in this invitation time, I pray in thy holy name. Amen.